people care about their car buying journey, provide your customers with an unparalleled chat and digital retailing experience with Goobagoo. Whether your customers are online or in-store, Goobagoo is there. See the magic at Goobagoo.com. That's G-U-B-A-G-O-O.com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, January 12th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Tesla captures the U.S. luxury crown. EVs made in the U.S. rule the market, and the trend is accelerating. And the U.S. loses a fight with Canada and Mexico over auto trade rules. Plus, what does the departure of Ford's top labor negotiator mean as the automaker gears up for UAW and Unifor talks this year? We'll hear from automotive news reporter Michael Martinez. I think he'll go down as someone who was really respected by both sides of his job, the, both the company side and the union side. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. An American automaker wears the U.S. luxury sales crown for the first time in nearly a quarter century. After being bested by just 23,000 vehicles in 2021, Tesla grabbed the luxury sales throne from BMW. It dumped the German automaker by about 160,000 vehicles last year. That's according to estimates from the Automotive News Research and Data Center. Austin-based Tesla does not break out sales by region or country. Mercedes-Benz placed third, followed by Lexus, Audi, and Cadillac. Tesla delivered an estimated 491,000 vehicles in the U.S. last year, up 44%. It topped 1 million deliveries globally. Tesla's success is also helping to drive another important sales trend. Electric vehicles built in U.S. factories are dominating the domestic EV market. That's according to new vehicle registration data from Experian. The trend is likely to accelerate given new tax incentives for EVs and battery production in North America. U.S.-made EVs accounted for about 75% of new vehicle registrations in the first 11 months of last year. U.S.-based automakers were responsible for nearly all of the local production. The biggest exception was Nissan, with its Tennessee-built Leaf holding a 1.7% EV market share. Other than Tesla, General Motors and startups such as Rivian are also spearheading U.S. EV sales. Canada and Mexico have won their challenge to the U.S. interpretation of content rules for autos under the new North American Trade Pact. A dispute panel ruling this week favors parts makers north and south of the U.S. A year ago, Canada and Mexico filed a complaint against the United States over how to apply automotive sector content requirements under the USMCA Free Trade Agreement, which came into effect in 2020. Under USMCA, 75% of a vehicle's components must originate in North America to qualify for tax-free status, but the United States disagreed with how to calculate that number. Mexico and Canada said if a core part, such as the engine or transmission, has 75% regional content, the USMCA allows that number to be rounded up to 100%, when calculating the broader requirement for an entire car's regional content. The United States said core part content should not be rounded up when determining the content of the entire car. But the dispute panel said the U.S. interpretation of the rules is inconsistent with the USMCA. And a Carvana outlet in Michigan has agreed to surrender its dealer license in lieu of further administrative action by state regulators. In October, 
The state suspended that license over titling, registration, and odometer issues they found to be in violation of the Michigan Vehicle Code. Carvana agreed Tuesday that the location in the Detroit suburb of Novi would have its dealer license revoked. That's according to a closeout agreement document provided Wednesday by the Michigan Department of State. Department spokesperson Jake Rollo said the deal bars Carvana from reapplying for a new license for three years. He says Michigan residents can still buy vehicles through Carvana's website, but they'll need to retitle vehicles that they purchase with the state of Michigan. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, do you see anyone catching up with Tesla in the luxury market? No, not anytime soon. You know, uh, Tesla's lead is so huge. They're about 50% bigger than any of their closest rivals. Uh, you know, BMW and Mercedes both have very large plants in the U.S. and they import models from Europe. But Tesla has two big plants here, plus the one in Germany and one in China. They're still growing, still adding. You know, the company has bigger ambitions than to be just a luxury car brand. And some people kind of dispute still that it really is luxury. But when you look at the prices they have, the vehicles they compete against, and the technology that's on board, I mean, clearly they are luxury and they're far bigger and far more popular than anybody else. Wow. Coming up, we'll hear more about what the retirement of Ford's top labor negotiator means ahead of union negotiations this year. That's next on Daily Drive. People care about their car buying experience, and so do we. Provide your customers with an unparalleled chat and digital retailing experience with Goobagoo. Goobagoo is the leader in conversational commerce for the automotive industry. Our fully managed live messaging services instantly connect consumers to dealers anytime and anywhere through live chat, text, video, and more. Integrated with our fully managed chat, Goobagoo's virtual retailing platform enables consumers to buy cars online directly from the dealership's website through multiple channels. We are constantly improving the retailing experience and currently have over 100 integrations with CRMs, DMSs, and third-party applications. Goobagoo transforms the traditional car buying process into a modern, transparent, and seamless experience. Available 24-7, 365, our highly trained chat specialists are there to help. See it for yourself at goobagoo.com. That's G-U-B-A-G-O-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. 2023 will be a big year for automakers and unions as talks are set to kick off this fall. The UAW is also in the process of electing a president. With that as a backdrop, Ford's top labor negotiator is on his way out. Ford Blue Vice President of America's Manufacturing and Labor Affairs, John Savona, will retire in March. His successor will be Bryce Curry, who previously was Chief Manufacturing Officer at Johnson Controls. I talked with Automotive News Ford reporter Michael Martinez about it. Mike also covers labor issues for us. Here's our conversation. Michael Martinez, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me. All right. So kind of an interesting story out of Ford yesterday. Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise, at least to me. Uh, John Savona retiring as vice president of manufacturing and, and labor affairs. What, what was his legacy? Well, I think he'll go down as someone who was really respected by both sides 
of his job, the, both the company side and the union side dealing with factory workers, dealing with the UAW in the, that labor affairs role. He had been with the company for 30 plus years, but really, the, I'd say maybe the past couple of years really cemented his legacy, helping Ford, helping the UAW through the pandemic, making sure the plants were kept safe was a big role within Ford, taking the plants down initially, bringing them back up with all sorts of health and safety guidelines, helping convert those workers at the plants to building PPE, masks, respirators, things of that nature. Uh, And then also after that, in terms of the most recent contract, helping to secure investment, helping to secure full-time status for a lot of temporary workers. That's something that Ford's been good at pulling ahead of a lot of what they had promised to do and really making the union workers happy in the process there. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we get all caught up in the pandemic and all the things that went with it, the deaths and the human cost, but then the the huge profits by the automakers and the dealers in in the wake of it. And sometimes we forget, I mean, the really outstanding work that was done by the UAW and by the leadership of the companies to pivot to making medical equipment PPE when that was what America and the world really needed. And then building the path to, you know, operating safely in a factory. I mean, when COVID started, we really weren't that sure as close as people had to work (laughs) that that was even going to be doable. And yet it turned out, uh, you know, really smooth and uh, a powerful driver of getting the economy back and going again. And there was no playbook for this, right? The companies made <laughs> Until the Lear wrote one. Yeah, Lear exactly. kind of got it jump-started, but uh, yeah, good stuff. And they, they all had to do this on the fly. And I think for the most part, when you think back to that time, there were no major outbreaks at plants. Things went relatively smoothly after they put these processes in place and they kept the workers safe. So Savona's replacement is uh, Bryce Curry, uh, new to the company, not necessarily new to the industry. Right. He has some experience working with the UAW specifically, as as well as other unions. He spent the past three years at Johnson Controls, helping with manufacturing and labor there. Before that, he was at GE Aviation, working on jet engine assembly and things of that nature. So he has some experience dealing with workers, dealing with unions that should serve him well. That's Ford's hope, at least, as we get into a UAW contract year here at the end of 2023. You know, Ford, of course, has a a long legacy with the UAW. And and Bill Ford, as we know, was uh, focused on labor relations really from his his earliest days at the company. But they've often mixed in, I think, some outsiders with the lifelong Ford executives to try to maybe bring in some fresh ideas about negotiating about what could be offered and what can be won back. That's a good point. Although I will say, I'm not sure the fresh ideas in this round of negotiations will come from the company side. You know, the union's in a bit of uh, transition, let's say, in terms of their leadership. And I think that's really what's going to determine how these talks go. So I, I should clear, clarify or ask you to clarify, uh, Bryce Curry is no relation to Ray Curry, the UAW president, right? Their names are spelled differently. They don't look alike at all. They're no relation at all. As far no as relation. Okay. So, but where does the UAW stand in its election process? The, they're doing a runoff because nobody won the election outright, the presidential election. That's right. We have a couple positions 
that remain open, the, the presidency, one of the three vice president slots, and then one final regional director position. Ballots should be going out about now, about this time, and we have until March, until we find out a winner of those runoffs. Uncharted territory, for sure, in this uh, this election process, going to the rank and file, letting everyone vote who wants to, may may not be a lot of folks, but uh, that's a, it's a new and different process, and, and it does seem like it gets them off to a, a bit of a later start. It is interesting, back on the Ford side, you know, that Curry is starting this month, uh, but Savona is not retiring until March, so they have some time to really have a smooth handoff, or at least a, attempt to do that, try to have as much of a brain dump, I, I suspect, as possible. In the UAW, a lot of new leaders. We'll see if we have the same president or or a new president. But it's a different environment. What kind of things do we expect to come up in these UAW talks? And for that matter, uh, those uh, that Ford and the other Detroit automakers are going to have with Unifor in Canada. Well, there are some things that really remain the same every four years, right? These workers are going to want wage gains. They're going to want to shore up their health care benefits, make sure those aren't taken away. They're going to want product and investment in as many plants as possible and commitments from the companies. Obviously, this round is going to be all about EVs, battery plants, production, unionizing, non-union joint ventures like we see at GM and Ford. So that's going to be a big deal. And I think just overall, depending on who wins the presidency, it could really determine how these talks go. The reformers, quote unquote, the challengers to Curry and his team are really out for blood, especially if you look at Stellantis. A lot of these guys came from that department. A lot of them view Stellantis as the crux of the problem. When you think about the corruption scandal where everything started, they think they have had the most concessionary contracts over the course of the past few negotiation cycles. So they're really going to be looking to change things up and get a lot of gains for workers this go around. The hard feelings over the the scandal at the UAW, which really did originate with Fiat Chrysler, or at least in the relationship between UAW leadership and, and Fiat Chrysler, combined with the real surge in labor activism throughout the U.S., uh, high inflation, uh, you know, that's that's gotten so high that the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates to try to, you know, bring that beast back down. But it's going to put a lot of wage pressure on the companies from the union or on the union leadership from their rank and file. It seems like it's going to be a real challenging uh, labor environment. And in that regard, I'm not sure it even matters who wins the presidency or who <laughs> is up in Solidarity House, because I think the rank and file are going to demand more of their leadership and of these companies. And you look around the country at the labor movement right now, even dating back to 2021, the strike at John Deere, they were able to negotiate over subsequent tries with the contract, more wage gains, 10% wage gains. They got COLA, the cost of living adjustment back, which is a big sticking point for D3 workers. They want COLA back, which is something they gave up during the, the recession to sort of help save the industry. You look at CNH on strike for you know more than half a year, I think at this point, they've rejected a number of contracts. They say the raises that were negotiated aren't enough to battle inflation. So I think we're gonna see these same kinds of things for the D3 automakers, the rank and file will demand more no matter who's in charge. 
And it's going to be really fascinating. We remember, you know, GM faced a strike last time. They were low on inventory when COVID hit. And it really cost them for a while and, and may have cost them the sales crown in 2021 to Toyota. You know, inventory is starting to come back, but it's, you know, we don't expect full production necessarily until the second half of the year. And that's when there could be a strike. That's, that's when workers will have to decide if they want to accept the contracts uh, that are up before them. It's going to be a fascinating year. Michael Martinez, I look forward to all of your coverage covering Ford and the UAW and with the rest of your team. Should be fun. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Irvash Kakaria, Lawrence Iliff, and CJ Moore for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on labor issues, sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about the challenges of getting different dealership departments to collaborate with each other. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.